and welcome to another edition of the Beer of Honor podcast. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. How are you doing? I'm good. Are we okay? You were giving the computer a funny look there. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm not sure what's going on with my uh, garage band here. It's uh, The screen is kind of wigging out. Um, yeah. But what, what could go wrong? What could, what could go wrong? <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, here we are again. Um, with me, of course, is Jeff Allworth, author of the recently re- released Secrets of the Master Brewers, as well as old favorites like The Beer Bible and Cider Made Simple. Uh, you find him blogging at Birvana, tweeting at at Birvana. And with me is Patrick Emerson, professor of economics at Oregon State University, whom you can find blog, uh, tweeting. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, we fixed uh, the script. Yes, tweeting at uh, Birvanomics. Yeah. Uh, so I launched right into that rather than our usual chit-chat because I'm distracted by my, <laughs> my computer that's kind of going, that's freaking out. But uh, I'm going to put my faith that things are all okay behind the scenes in the circuitry. You're the producer, so that's why you get paid the big bucks. <laughs> uh, we're back in uh, studio number two, um, better known as my basement. Uh, we are being sort of assaulted by animals, so if there are strange animal sounds, and there's also construction next door, so there's lots of interesting things that could be uh, bleeding into our audio. So uh, enjoy the the variety. Should we talk about the weather, as we always do? Nice, nice rainy day. Uh, yeah, it actually, there was a late summer beauty the last couple of days, warm, 80s, sunny, and then uh, and then we're down to the 60s and rainy again, back to the Pacific Northwest, fall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've passed the, the solstice, which means, or the equinox, which means that we're into the dark part of the year. Uh, we're going to be, it's just going to be dark, dark, dark. We're going to lose an hour here in, I don't know, what, a month? Yeah, I take my kid to soccer practice so i see the the closing in of the days very vividly as i'm standing there in the soccer field <laughs> uh, that, having more tech yeah issues. well that, i was trying to figure out sorry uh yeah this is kind of the stuff that like professionals would do before they started recording but we do it as we go because we want to show you how uh how clever we are how macgyver like we are fixing our problems as we go it gives it that verisimilitude aren't yeah so now i think my levels are probably better hopefully Hopefully, uh, I wasn't too loud before. Uh, yeah. So weather, as always, back to back to the northwest. Fall rain. Uh, my son loves it. He hates the hot and sun. Yeah, so. I'm ready for it too. Ah, there's oh, a dog of the pod. There's the dog of the pod. <laughs> we, soon, maybe we'll hear that cat of the pod. New cat. You have new cats. Uh, uh, yeah, we got we got kittens. I don't know uh, if our listeners can hear that, but the, no. <laughs> the yeah. cats are in the walls, it sounds like. Yeah, well, the, that's the dog on on uh, above barking at somebody going by, because my dog's stupid. Uh, and will bark at phantoms. Uh, hey. I know. That's a good segue to what to, to a beer that we're going to taste. Uh, yes. But that's a tease. You'll a have tease, to figure that yes. out later. You have to listen to the that whole this whole ridiculous thing. Uh, my kids were clamoring for cats for a long time. We finally relented, and we got two kittens. It's actually been super fun. They're great. Uh, but they're also um, intrepid, and uh, it's too hard to describe the nature of my, my uh, basement. But let's just say once you kind of get into the back part of the basement, you can kind of get all around the walls and they're trying to break in through uh through a little storage cubby (laughs) (laughs) that was right before we came on air because we shut them out because it turns out that my podcast partner um is a little bit allergic to cats yeah who knew i did for 50 years now i know i failed i failed to get your permission for the cats before we (laughs) before we got them 
Yeah, I would have <laughs> kibosh on that. Uh, I know you weren't you weren't as excited about the cats as uh, you should have been. All right. All right. Well, enough of cats. What else? Let's talk about some beer. Yeah. So today we're going to return to one of our to um, one of our podcasts where we do a deep dive into a classic style, and remarkably. We've done a lot of these, but we haven't done Saison. I know. Isn't that amazing? We it both is. had that same kind of like, wait, wait, we haven't done Saison? Yeah. <laughs> and then we said, quick, let's do one because we're running out of ideas. <laughs> no, uh, that's absolutely no, we never not true. Out of ideas. Uh, in centuries past, these were the beers made by farmers to both preserve their harvest and slake thirsts over the coming year. Their production dwindled throughout the 20th century and would have gone extinct if not by some heroic last-minute interest by foreign writers and importers. Now the style is one of the most commonly brewed in the United States. Uh, we're going to discuss the history, nature, and brewing methods uh, when we come back. But first, of course, the news. Uh, this is a small... Actually, we only have one news item. Yeah. It's small, but it's fascinating. Uh, and I'll set it up, and then you can fill in the details. The Texas-based Lambic-inspired brewer Jester King has launched a follow-up to their effort to codify and brand Method Guse. Is that close enough? Yeah, that <laughs> With a new similar certification called Method Traditionnel. And at least one American brewery is not pleased. Uh, what's going on interesting stuff so we often talk about what the big breweries are doing and the major trends in beer this is kind of the opposite it's a little tiny niche thing that's going to affect almost no one and, and probably <laughs> not so many people will have heard of this so um stick with us because it's a detailed story uh deep deep in the weeds but creating a lot of heated passions so the story okay. is um there's a style of beer that we talked about here on the pod called uh, Lambic, which mm -hmm. is made through traditional methods of um, spontaneous fermentation, right. really slow process. You barrel age it with wild yeast and bacteria, and um, you may add fruit. Uh, you may blend different vintages, come up with gus or uh, creek or other things. Um, Americans maybe a decade ago started making these beers. And in much the same way as their Belgian inspiration, they wanted to figure out a way to uh, name it so that people, customers had a sense of what uh, what they were making and, and how right. special it was and all that. And to distinguish themselves from people that they felt were making them in a quicker, less... Uh, traditional way. Yeah, less traditional, less interesting way. Mm -hmm. So Jester King took point on this and came up with this, uh, this first designation and, and wanted other people to do it. Uh, they were working with um, Jean Van Roy at Cantillon, who's kind of a, the, the cowboy of Lambic Brewers. Um, he's at, at once the most traditional. He really uses these super traditional methods. His brewery's ancient and <clears throat> is actually a museum. Mm -hmm. uh, but he also does things that are heterodox in that he uses uh, fresh hops. Um, he sometimes blends different vintages than the ones prescribed and... Um, He'll tinker with other stuff. He'll add, uh, like they just had Zwanza Day, and he put tea in that. Um, <laughs> so he, he tinkers around. Um, so he, he criticizes some of the Lambic brewers who will adulterate their, their Lambic and put uh, sweeten it and pasteurize it like Lindemann's. Right. Um, so he's kind of, he, he's always been um, the odd man out in that group. Um, so he encouraged them to do this, and they did it. Uh, but then the other group of Lambic makers in Belgium, learned that Jester King was promoting this and they were not high on it. And so they said, you should stop that. Yesterday, as we record this, and probably I guess we'll release it today, so yeah. you can check the date. Hopefully. Um, 
for whatever. producers on the ball. <laughs> That's right. Whatever yesterday is, I think September 28th, I think. Um, they announced that they were abandoning that and introducing a new thing called uh, the method. I'm just going to say traditional because okay. I can't uh, pronounce it the way you do. Uh, Very uh, traditionnel. Thank you. That's really good. Uh, you, I've, I've been listening to the tape uh, of uh, uh, all them French lessons. Yeah, it's really good. Pan off. I've been listening to Oliver Daydecker from uh, uh, Dupont uh-huh. for the, to get prepped for this, and you sound like him, so it's oh. good. Yeah. Right. Anyway, they they introduced this thing, and they wanted people to uh, sign up for it, and they created a page on the internet that says uh, methodtraditional.com. So the idea is if you follow certain practices, then you can call yourself this. Right, and they created a little mark that you can put on your labeling, just you know, like one of the... And it's just, is, was this designed just for American brewers or for Belgian think, brewers as well? Is that one of the problems? And what's the problem? No, I think it's American brewers. Um, well, the, pro- the no problem, really, except that um, later yesterday, mm-hmm. the Guard, a brewery here in Oregon, mm-hmm. uh, released this broadside on <laughs> Facebook oh. <laughs> uh, where they castigated Jester King uh, for, um, for doing this and, you know, these little breweries if you're inspired to make really expensive really slow beer uh with wild yeasts you're already an oddball yeah you know in the brewing world you have a very uh distinct sense of what you want to do right and um you know you're working in a niche thing so all these guys tend to have strong personalities and are really cool and interesting people right um and i think from the guards perspective part of the reason they started making this beer is they wanted uh, it to be a common peasant drink in, in the sort of way that it was back in when it was originally made. Right. So they think it should not be a sophisticated, super expensive thing. So part of their broadside was you guys are, uh, you know, charging too much for your beer. And this is just a, 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 a fancy, yeah, fancy way to market it and, and broadcast that and drive the prices up. Whereas right. our whole approach is we're going to do the same kind of beer, but we're going to try to sell it as low as low as you know the cost as possible make as much bring people into our tap room and have them taste it and that's our thing so no way we're using that so now there's this little war and what's fascinating to me is that this little war here in the united states that so far it's only two breweries my i don't know there's a few other breweries who make this kind of beer Mm -hmm. and hopefully we'll hear from them before too long this contentiousness here in the united states actually replicates the kind of contentiousness you see in belgium right which is perfectly traditional. So in a way, they've done it. They're <laughs> they're, they're they're a mature. Yeah. <laughs> you wanted to be just like the lambic brewers, and yeah. so you are. You're a mature lambic market now. Uh, what is the? Uh, is there a contention about the process? So, um, are there things that they do that other breweries don't? Yeah, I mean, th- this is where it gets into the weeds. Um, the 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 new mark that. Chester King wants people to use has 20 criteria uh-huh. for production methods, which is far more strict, uh, strict than the methods, uh, the Belgians use to, de- to describe theirs. There's a, they have a, a kind of appellation there for mm-hmm. in the EU for Udgers and Ud Creek, which are the two kind of things that are protected. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's part of the problem. I think, um, it may be even, even just functionally, it's, that's going to be a challenge because a lot of breweries are not going to do precisely the same t- method right like any even just two random ale brewers don't right. the same methods right. method so um that's part of the issue i think probably it was also strategically not a smart move to uh promote this thing you know come up with the criteria and then ask people to sign on would right. have been better to 
you know, convene a panel of the different brewers together and come up and see what they could agree on and whether it makes sense. And right. that would be a typical way, but, um, I don't know. I don't really have a, a dog in the race, but it is fascinating to watch from the sidelines. And, you know, if you're one of those people who spend, uh, the hours between 1030 and midnight uh, <laughs> reading comments on Facebook, uh, that's, uh, it provides a lot of entertainment. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I wouldn't know any of those people. I mean, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Nor would you be one. That's right. Um, uh, it's interesting because, you know, we've talked about this before. You know, there is a bit of a, a, a mystery behind the beer. It's not obvious to a consumer how a beer is made or what it's made of. Um, and so, uh, and I think this is true in lots of artisanal uh, um, markets where, you know, you really want, to tell your customer that this is something traditional and it's made in a certain way and it's and it's authentic, whatever that means, um, and it's hard. Uh, it's hard to get that on a beer label. <laughs> like we do That's these right. twenty things, and this is why you should <laughs> care. And uh, so I kind of, you know, I get the point that you're really trying to distinguish yourself, and it's hard just to sort of put the product out there and 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 for people to understand that. But I agree, it's um, it's difficult to sort of decide on your own that this is how we should do it and everybody should agree with me right away yeah yeah it's a romantic way of making beer and i know that everybody who makes beer uh in a you know special long slow process wants to try to communicate some of that romance yeah Um, i get well and the other thing i would say is that um you know as the beer market becomes craft beer market becomes more and more competitive um i think there's sort of a desperate desperation is the wrong word but this this real um sense of urgency to to make sure that people understand what you're all about um because there's not a whole lot of time anymore probably to really connect with consumers and to bring consumers along and it's becoming uh it's becoming more doggy dog out there so yeah totally anyway uh okay uh this is a good point uh, for us to remind you that the Beer Vana podcast is brought to you by All About Beer magazine. Explore the culture, culture. Let me try that again. Explore the culture of beer through award-winning news, reviews, education, and insights. Print and digital subscriptions are available by visiting allaboutbeer.com. Nicely done. Sort of. Uh, sort of. <laughs> we, if we were a, a real professional podcast, we'd make you redo that and fix it in post. But we're not. So we're well. Not. And if and if there was actually any real. Uh, uh, juice behind that than we would too so. that's true what are they going to fire us yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> what else they got <laughs> two dudes drinking beer in their underpants oh yeah. wait a minute <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh, let's turn to our main topic which of course is uh saison uh and um, i'm going to turn it over to you because i am uh, blissfully ignorant about saison um i did read the chapter in your book but that was a long time ago, and I'm old and don't retain things very well anymore. Uh, so why don't you start uh, by telling us the history of the style? Well, why don't we turn it over to uh, uh, Olivier Dedecker. I, I have two quotes from him from my visit to uh, the Brasserie uh, DuPont. And unf- I would love to have more. I am much, much more tape. Um, but he has a really loud brewery, and it was mostly not good. Uh, you could kind of hear him, but it wasn't really broadcast quality and even even the two clips i have are not great but in this first one he sets up um a little bit of the the kind of spirit and history behind um farmhouse brewing and then i'll once once he gets started we'll we'll pick it up from there okay here we go and with this barley malt they are brewing some beer and that beer the second fermentation in wood barrels and was drank on the summer 
when the people are in the fields. Mm -hmm. um, so we speak uh, of uh, a kind of of beer with a low alcohol content, uh, high bitterness, mm -hmm. uh, no sugar, no residual sugar, so high refreshing beer. So it was what we call in Belgium beer de saison, season beer, both in the winter and drank uh, in the summer. summer. Yeah. And, and these would have been um, affected by lactobacillus back then? It could be, yeah, yeah yes. Uh, they are brewing in the winter for microbiological reasons, so to avoid some uh, anarchic uh, Right. Yeah. Fermentations, but but with wood barrels, with uh, the basic material they had, of course, I'm sure they had some uh, some right. lactic uh, <laughs> in the It could still improve the refreshing character of uh, yes. of the product. So that was uh, Olivier uh, Dedecker at Brasserie Dupont talking about what a historic saison uh, would be like. Um, these were very rustic beers. This the farmhouse tradition is not unique to Belgium. It's actually there would have been. I mean, that's the tradition that pre-existed in in all parts of the world where where beer was brewed. It was right. a way to preserve your harvest. Uh, so you know, you, you take you take some of your grain, you make it into bread. You take some of it, you make it into beer. Right. Uh, anyway, and, is it just the fermentation timing that turned it into a spring summer quaff or? Well, in Belgium in particular, um, they knew they did the, the, um, kind of late in the game. They were still doing um, uh, cooling by putting it in a cool ship. Right. And they learned a long time ago that if you did that in the summer, it captured really vicious bugs. So when he was talking about right. you could only you could only brew in the winter, um, that was because when you get the wort in the the uh, the cool ship. Um, you need the temperatures to be pretty low or else you get right. really nasty bugs. And by the way, I, I've never, uh, I'm, a, I'm a neophyte, so I, I've never heard uh, uh, anarchic fermentation, but I love the title of the term. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He talks about uh, microbiological intervention, which is a nice thing too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so just to kind of describe how that, all, that process would work these guys had had like um crude breweries in their barns and stuff and sometimes they would you know maybe one farm would have it and other guys would come over and brew um they wouldn't necessarily use the good grain you're going to use your best grain to make the the uh uh wheat you know the best wheat to use mm -hmm. bread in bread and stuff so you might you might take uh your leftovers if if you have some little harder wheat uh they might have you use spelt um, right. buckwheat other kinds of things this gives it a little bit more of a rustic character, the kind of stuff that they're, you know, would go well into beer. Yeah. So um, wait a minute. This is my so this is my first question. I might as well interject here and yeah. ask, uh, which is that um, it kind of seems like a catch-all style, like sort of almost anything goes. Totally. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and in fact, I think because it's a farmhouse tradition, it, it would have been dependent on the season, right? right. You know, so you have and um, what you have left over and what. Right what produced well this year and yeah yeah and they talk um when you read some of the older traditions uh or older accounts they talk about using honey um sometimes herbs and spices that they have growing mm -hmm. on the on the, the farm and i think that's partly because these are farmers right these aren't brewers mm -hmm. so they brew a few times a year usually in the winter over the winter to get rid of their their grain production mm -hmm. they don't you know they're not great brewers they have terrible equipment this is not going to be great beer and what would they do to bring the sugars out of the grain 
Uh, they had maltings. They oh, would they, do, did. they would malt their own their own grain. Okay, and that is also not going to be very sophisticated, right? So right. the maltings are not going to be great. So that's going to be nice and rustic. Gonna lots of rustic. different types of grains. So, and that's another reason why you use other things like fruits and herbs because you're trying ah, to smooth it out a little right. bit, make it not so so quite so bad. Yeah. And then my second question, um, or my follow up question to that, is kind of anything goes. And also, what about alcohol content? It's interesting. So, um, most of the accounts I've read really are, describe 19th century saisons, mm-hmm. and I, you know this is a tradition that goes back, um, you know, a thousand years and more. So it's hard to know because nobody was writing about what the farmers were brewing in 1223 or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit hard to know what was going on there. Um, in the uh, 19th century, <laughs> technical issues, thumping, thumping. Well, so here's the the problem is the little table where we have our beer and stuff was was thumping on my microphone, and so it turns out that my little table was hitting my big table, and so now I've separated the two tables, and so the thumping should go down. That's good. I'm, our our <laughs> listeners will really appreciate. Yeah, that. in case there's any in case there's any doubt that we're really low rent here. Yeah, <laughs> it's not our technically this is not our tightest shit. <laughs> we, we've had better days. Uh, oh man. Yeah. <laughs> um. In the 19th century, the Saisons were, were pretty low alcohol. They talk a lot about um, the importance of them being low alcohol because they would continue to drink them through the, the next summer. Yeah, that's, that was exactly what I was thinking. I yeah. thought of them as sort of a light summer drink. Yeah, and that But is a lot of the Saisons we get are pretty big. Ah, this is an interesting development that comes later. Okay, I'll, so we shave it for later? Yeah, well, let's... Um, let's so while we're talking, because, yeah. we, because we just talked to um, or just heard from uh, the DuPont guy... Uh, we actually have a bottle of Saison Dupont. Yeah. Before we do this, um, why don't we play the other other clip from him where he describes a little bit of his background. Uh, this is the most. This is one of the most important breweries in the world. Um, and this beer, although it almost went extinct, we'll talk a little bit about it. Is one of the most important beers in the world. It is. Um, it is inspired single handedly inspired probably more imitators than any mm. other any other beer in the world. Yeah. So. Um, Let's listen to him and then let's taste his beer. All right. Yeah, it's one of my favorites in the world too. So here we go. So it's still a family business. I'm of the fourth generation of, uh, of the family. Uh, we are 10 owners. So I own the brewery. It's my brothers, cousins, cousins, uh, mm-hmm. 10 persons of my generation. Generation. Uh, I work here since uh, 20 years, mm-hmm. as, uh, first as brewing engineer, and now I manage a brewery since uh, 8 years you know, for, for the family. Uh-huh. Uh, we work 19 persons for okay. the brewery and for a small cheese production, oh, yes. really, really small. And as you pour that beer out, I'll just fill in some of the other background. This brewery was founded in the mid-19th uh, century. It was a farmhouse. Um, it's in a little town in Wallonia, um, very near the French border. Uh, and until the mid-1980s, this is a remarkable story, they were growing their own grain, malting it on site, using a mash tun from 1844, uh, open firing, nice, <laughs> nice cork action. Yeah. Um, they had an open-fired um, uh, kettle. You can hear that. That's beautiful. <laughs> what 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 the listeners can't see is that it poured out there like champagne. It is one of the most effervescent beers on the market. Yeah, the, it's about ninety five percent head. It has a <laughs> it has a Cajun cork uh, top or a cage et oiseau. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow, wow, wow. 
uh, and for champagne, at least in, in France, they have this tradition where one person takes the cage and one person takes the oiseau, the cork, and next time you meet, if one person has one and the other person has the other, the person who is lacking the the mate has to buy drinks. Oh, good to know. <laughs> That's a is that a wine thing or a beer thing? That's a champagne thing, I think. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Well, uh, now we have to wait for that head to die down. <laughs> They they basically have the same setup. Their mash tun finally gave out, gave out, so they had to replace it. Um, and they have the same kettle on the same open fire uh, system. And then this brewery's most remarkable thing is the the fermentation, and that that's some something that we'll come to later. But um, their yeast is very unusual, and uh, produces this crazy beer that most beer people I think will have had. It's, crazy wonderful beer. Yeah, it's a uh, it's an unusual oh. beer. I'm going to hand it over to you. You can take a nice whiff of all the esters that pop off them. Yeah, in the 1970s, there were only two saisons left in the world. This one and one from Brasserie de Silly. How do you say it? S-I-L-L-Y, Mr. French. Uh, de Silly. <laughs> there you go. De Silly. No, de Silly. <laughs> um, Michael Jackson found them. Mm-hmm. The famous writer Michael Jackson. They were brewing a beer called Moinette. It's their main beer and it's still in belgium their big their biggest seller mm. uh and this was only two percent of their production jackson really loved it and he he called attention to the beer uh to uh he uh, one of the importers at the time the american the american importer for van bergen wolf uh don feinberg who came and checked it out and he also loved the saison dupont and he said i'd like to sell this beer in america and at first uh the brewery thought he meant Juanette, but uh, no, he said, I think this is the one. And, uh. and and now, though this is considered the flagship, it's still not uh, a very big seller in, in Belgium. In Belgium, But it, it's, of course, profoundly influential here in the United States. Yeah. Mm. So what are your thoughts on this beer? Well, it's always been one of my favorite because it's really complex and sort of sour, but without being uh, overwhelming and has this amazing ester bouquet that's hard to sort of pin down but it's pretty phenolic too um that's another thing that really really pops it's very peppery mm-hmm. so it's got yeah it's fruity and peppery and it's also really hoppy this is the thing yes that americans have not followed up on so much uh, most american saisons uh, we'll come to in a while uh they have not in many ways american saisons don't look like don't look or taste like this they've kind of gone another way sometimes the original is too too big like you can't you can't ape the originals yeah americans have gone i mean there's a lot going on in that beer so you have some uh some pretty strong esters that are coming from the the yeast you've got a pretty strong hop profile as you said the phenols are in there i mean and it's a fairly big beer this is six and a half percent i think is that same as in belgium yeah Mm -hmm. so it's um it's complex but it's a it's amazingly drinkable yeah, and it's very dry, and it's got. Um, yeah. You called it sour. I get kind of a, a, you know, a musty cellar kind of quality, an aged quality out of it. Which um, it's not an aged beer, but it does have just. There's a. It's a kind of I don't know rusticity. Yeah, somehow. yeah. I mean, it's it's almost it's almost a slightly citrusy sour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not like the um, really bracing sour that you get in some like lambics, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. But it's got a little bit of that citrus, a little pepper, 
It's very nice. Yeah. It's a classic. So an interesting thing happened. You asked about um, the strength of these beers. Right. After the World Wars, Belgian producers reinvented Saison as a kind of sophisticated thing. That's uh-huh. when they started bottling them and, uh-huh. and selling them commercially. And they put them in the Cajun cork, however you said that. <laughs> the cage oiseau. Cage it's, just, it's the bird. It's the bird in the cage. Ah, the bird in the cage. Oiseau is a bird. They started putting the bird in the cage, mm-hmm. and they made them very strong. Mm-hmm. And they went for a much more upscale audience. So they took all the characters that had once defined them as kind of a you know rustic farmhouse, uh, almost uh, the op- whatever the opposite of sophisticated sort of hillbilly beer uh and reinvented it as this sophisticated kind of uh upscale stuff right um but that that didn't and they had a heyday for a little while uh and then they started dying out by the 70s they were had mostly died out the the idea of the saison didn't really even exist in in belgium so when uh jackson and van bergen de wolf kind of saved it uh, Americans came along and they started getting really interested in this beer style. And then mm-hmm. that's when you started seeing, uh, probably not until really the nineties. I don't know that there were any of these things being made in the eighties by early craft brewers, but that's when, that's when people started really getting interested in them. And, and I think the first Belgian, as Americans got into Belgian styles, the Saison was definitely one of the first they were interested in. And, and we've seen a ton of them made since then. Yeah. Well, I wonder if, um, and this is pure speculation, you might have more uh, better guesses than me because you know more, but, um, if it was really a sort of a farmhouse style and people were, were malting their own grains, they might not have been able to extract a ton of sugar. And so the efficiencies might be pretty low. Well, not, not efficiency, but just the alcohol content might be pretty low just because there wasn't a lot of fermentable sugar in it. Yeah. I bet that's totally true. Um, I just, yeah, the strike strikes me as the Saison DuPont is a great, actually the thing about Saison DuPont is it's kind of an all, all year beer for me. Oh yeah. You could, it's a kind of, it warm me up in the winter. It was kind of refreshing in the summer. Yeah. But it's not really like a big, a big session summer beer where you're, you know, thirsty field workers are going to come in and, <laughs> and drink a whole ton of it and then go back to work. <laughs> right. Right. It's for when it's time to take a nap. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it is a more sophisticated beer. I mean, it, it definitely yeah. uh, is, is brewed for sophistication mm-hmm. and, and that brewery has, uh, it's it's a wonderful brewery because it does feel like a farmhouse as you're walking around. It right. is a farmhouse, and it's mm-hmm. in the middle of, it's in a little town called Torps, Torps Torp. I don't know how you pronounce that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in uh, Wallonia, and there's basically no town there. There's the brewery, and there's a couple of other buildings. There's a pub across the the, the street called right. the Caves, uh-huh. um, and other than that, it's just farm farmland. And right. when you're when you when you're there, um, it feels very much like you visited a farm, and yet. All the beers uh, Olivier makes are just amazingly sophisticated. You know, these are like you could put these on the finest tables anywhere in the world. So it's it's this interesting contrast between the high and the low. And I think that's what's always captivated people who've come to this beer and come to this beer style is the 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 connection to the land, but also the sophistication that it produces. And do you have an idea how much of his beer he exports? A lot. I think 40%. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was looking through my notes. Um, that was when I visited, which has now been about five years ago. Yeah. So, um, And I, I know that he was hoping to increase production. And so. since and since the Saison is the one that is the most common or popular in, in the export market, I imagine it's that, that ratio is a lot higher for the Saison style. 
Yeah, and it may have gone up if he's if with the increased production, if that was to meet the export market. I'm right. sure the proportion of right the saison has gone up. He also now does uh, a dry hopped version of this beer, which will he'll he'll release. Um, uh, those will be hitting our shores in probably a month or two. Ah, okay. Um, after the harvest there, and those are really nice. Um, they're uh, they're they're um, they're the kind of beer you have to drink fast. I mean, there's a little window <laughs> for you to actually taste it, um, but it adds another peppery note. And since it's always been a hoppy beer, it's a, I think it's a cool thing. And he does it with a different hop each year, so you can you can uh, look on the label and it will tell you which hop he used. Oh, nice. And yeah. what does he call it? It's just dry hop to Saison Dupont. Dry hop to Saison Dupont. Yeah, I, I remember coming across one of those a year or two ago. I think I was with you, in fact, and you told me to buy it. So Yeah. <clears throat> uh, okay, so it's kind of a catch-all. Yeah. Style. So, so how do you? Style. Yeah. So how do you define it? <laughs> yeah. Let's go back to the style. It, yeah, because it can be um, weak. It can be strong. It can be dark. It can be light. It can right. be made out of um, all barley. It can be made out of uh, wheat, spelled oats, all these other things. You can put spices in it. You can right. Do all when kinds I, of amendments. I had this. I was uh, confronted with this question when I wrote the beer bible, and mm-hmm. I had to try to figure out. Okay, what 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 characterizes this? Um, so I came up with five kind of markers and uh only one i think is really critical okay but um when you look at the style you you see that rustic grains Mm -hmm. or rustic grain quality is often present so um this this beer one thing we didn't mention yeah we didn't mention it but it's really hazy Mm -hmm. and haze is almost always common and that will that comes partly from these grains uh saison dupont is made with only pilsner malt so it doesn't actually have um, any rusticity but it has kind of a a richer mouthfeel and a yes. sort of cakiness yep. that um, that would be suggestive of, of those kinds of grains. You find that that pretty often, and sometimes in American versions, you'll see uh, like uh, Boulevard Tank Seven uses corn, and they uh-huh. wanted to call they're in the middle of corn country, so they wanted to call the rust the, the rusticity of their terroir, yeah. which is uh, their place. They have corn, so they threw that in there, and I think that's kind of a cool thing that you can do with with saisons. Yeah, um, is what what you have locally is what you should put in a saison. Right. Um, a, a component of this is haziness. I think most most saisons are not really uh, clear just because of of this. And when you're talking about a rustic style, these would not have been filtered. They would not have been commercialized, industrialized, like all that stuff is kind of away from the spirit of things. So uh-huh. breweries try not to tease them too much on that on that front. Right. Spiciness is an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 yeast character that you get will often produce um, this kind of spiciness and we've talked about ferulic fr- acid rests which is a way to pr- to uh, pr- create a, a precursor that certain yeasts will uh, convert into the spiciness that we're getting here. Right. So that that is one uh, one quality that you'll find in many of them, um, and you might also find, and we're going to try a beer here in a minute that has it, um, beers that actually have spices in them. And we mm-hmm. talked about how farmers might have thrown spices in them to make them maybe less harsh, right? Kind of you know fix that um, balance problem. Mm-hmm. So spiciness can exist either as a yeast character, uh, an actual added character, um, or not at all, maybe, but. Um, they should all be crisp and refreshing. This, this goes back to their, their farmhouse roots. I think they should be dry and attenuated. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, there are certain styles of beer in Belgium that are not dry and attenuated. Right. They're much much sweeter, much fuller. And um, Saison is not like that. Saison should be quenching. Right. So all of those are kind of... 
things that may or may not be present. The last <laughs> one is really critical, and that's the abundant yeast character. These, yeah. these beers are totally defined by yeast, and if you write Saison, if you brew a Saison, and it doesn't just have this exploding yeast character, almost to the d- degree of being wild. I mean, right. it should just be massively expressive. And that's like the one baseline. If you don't have that, you don't have a Saison. You may yeah. have anything else, but you surely should have that. Yeah, so it's hard, I think, um, getting back uh, to our news item, it's just, it could be hard, I suppose, for brewers to really express, you know, by using the term Saison, it's hard to express exactly what your beer is. You have to be a little more descriptive, perhaps. Yeah. So, you're an economist. <laughs> you understand markets. It turns out I am, yeah. Uh, so, I went and looked into the uh, Beer Advocate database and okay. and looked and see how to, because one thing that's cool about the Beer Advocate database is it tells you how many beers are made in any particular style. Uh-huh. All the beers that a brewery makes gets entered in there so you can just look uh as of this morning there were 9172 saisons entered in beer advocates database wow. which is a lot right that's yeah, a lot that compares to it's not as many as ipas and pale ales of course but if you look at if you add up both the german and czech pilsner categories uh-huh. you only have uh, 4805 hmm. so brewers love them some saisons yes a lot of people are brewing saisons, and yeah. yet there's not a national brand. There's no Blue Moon of saison. There's no Sierra Nevada Pale of saison. There's you know there's no there's no big selling saison. Yeah. Um, well, I would ex- I suspect that part of that is, is because of what exactly what we talked about. There is no sort of uh, really distinct beer profile that is saison. You think it's a category problem? Uh, potentially. I mean. I think that it's a it's it's a beer style beloved by geeks. I don't think it's got mass appeal yet, and part of that might be because there's no one. So if I say I'm going to brew a pilsner, there's a lot of different ways I could do that, but they're all in a fairly narrow band, hmm. and so I'll probably know pretty much what I'm getting. But saison to me is a really, and I think one of the reasons brewers probably like it is because it's so wide open, and you can kind of yeah. really explore and experiment with a saison but it doesn't communicate something really clear to a consumer <laughs> so um that might be one challenge to a mass to make it more popular in a mass setting or in a mass market that's it that actually never occurred to me so good job oh okay excellent that's <laughs> my job it. is done okay the rest of the pot is yours <laughs> <laughs> that's why we have economists <laughs> Yeah, I've talked to brewers about this a lot, and you know, many brewers love this style. Sure, and they often say, "Oh, you know, we put farmhouse on. We tried saison. Nobody knows what it is. We right. can't sell it. We've tried farmhouse. We think that sounds, you know, it's evocative. It's cool. Mm-hmm. No, people don't know what it is. They it never sells. <laughs> so it's a it's a challenge. And um, I think I know that there are many brewers out there who, if they could figure out a way to to sell bucket loads of this beer, they would be delighted. Yeah, one, one uh, and I don't know how many brewers do this. I'm trying to think of local examples. I can't off the, off the top of my head, but you might. Um, but one way I think you could go is to really market it as a summer beer. Keep it keep it pretty low alcohol. Yes, um, I hand you that thingy. So Jeff has the second Saison in our uh, in our little trio here. Didn't mean to interrupt. Keep continuing. Uh, well, I was going to say that, I, that, that you might want to sort of play off the fact that it's a beer that was traditionally uh, consumed in the summer and lower the alcohol content, keep the keep the the yeast character, but make it a very um, a very sessionable and a very approachable approachable beer. Um, ah, <laughs> I, you know, I remember this from the uh, uh, 
so I, I just had a birthday, and my lovely wife brought home uh, a bottle of the Phantom Saison. And the first thing that occurred to me when I did it, or the first thing that I noticed when I did it, is that it has a, it has a cap. So you use your bottle opener, and you open the cap, and guess what's underneath? A, a cork. A cork, for which you need a corkscrew. <laughs> which we do which not we have don't, here. We don't have. And I'll tell you... I was a little concerned because as I pulled that cap off, it just there was nothing, and I thought, "Oh no!" Yeah, <laughs> no, I had the same. I, had the, I was like, "Wow, these guys are really uh, uh, thorough." Yeah, making sure that this bottle is sealed. Uh, so we'll probably have to take a little break and find us a corkscrew, um, which I have, but not at hand. Uh, but let me just finish my thought before yeah, I do that, do. Uh, which is um, one way is to really sort of try to uh, to market it as a summer beer. Um, because I think it works really well as a summer beer, a sessionable beer. So keep it below 5%, have a nice yeast character, uh, nice sort of golden hazy hazy beer with some of these interesting yeast uh, esters and and phenols. And, and there's your winner, man. So there's my... All so, right. From your mouth to all brewers' ears. That's it. Done. Call, <laughs> call it Belgian summer ale. Belgian summer ale. Actually, that sounds a little too much like uh, what's the one that... Uh, uh, um, ah, I can't think of it anyway. Never mind. Some beer. Yeah, well, yeah, like a big, a big brewer beer. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, that's my, that's my. Uh, there you go. Try right. it. Try it. See if it works. If it does, you can send me your check, royalty <laughs> check. All right. Let's go get a bottle. All right. Let's opener. go get a bottle opener. <laughs> we'll be right back. Time for the interlude. <laughs> 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 Okay, now we're back with the corkscrew in hand. And in fact, I even have the corkscrew inserted into the cork, and here we go. Ooh, nice! nice. Some good sound effects. Today. Yeah, All right. We have we've uh, we're doing badly and well in our production values. Oh, uh, tell us about this beer, by the way. So it's Phantom. What is it? So this is a beer that this is one of the first um, kind of the. The, the first of the, the Belgian craft beers uh, that came along in the, I think, late 70s or early 80s, somewhere along there. Uh-huh. Certainly by the 80s, um, this beer was out there. And it's it's made in the Belgian Ardan, and it's just a weird... It's, this is kind of a legendary <laughs> beer because it is enormously variable. Ah. Um, it is very farmhousey, so mm-hmm. almost like... You know, 19th century farmers probably had good just years. don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. <laughs> It's pretty effervescent, but Ooh, it's <coughs> excuse me, but not nearly as uh, effervescent as Dupont. It's got a crazy nose. Uh, describe it. Well, it's really spicy. Yep. Yeah, it's just uh, yeah, full of spice. Um, it's darker than the I knew it's Dupont, slightly turmeric. No, not turmeric. Uh, paprika, maybe. I don't know. Mm. It is darker. It's more of an ombre. Um, wow. Yeah. It's hard to pin down that spice, but it's like spice, spice, spice. So this is an interesting beer in in that um, it is actually made with spices too. And that he he I know that uh, the the brewer Danny Prignon, P R I G N O N Prignon Prignon. Kind of mixes up his his blend of spices. Uh, sometimes, I, he, an er, back uh, maybe as you know, early as twenty five years ago, I had one of these at a tasting, and uh, he, 
this beer had black pepper in it, and it was the first time I'd ever had black pepper in a beer, and it was really uh. tasty and interesting. Uh, and I know he mixes that around, but um, he does a good job of trying to create uh, fermentation spicing flavors with his spices. He tries to make the make them blend together. You don't mm. taste it and just feel like mm, a lot of cloves that are added no. or cinnamon or something like that. He he does a nice job of a blend. Yeah, that's the thing. I would call this a spicy beer, but I'm particularly sensitive to spice and it usually it's like one spice that just sort of overwhelms me and but no not at all it's all background spice and it's all blended very well yeah it's a big beer it's eight percent um yeah kind of tastes like it yeah it's pretty heavy this is one of the styles of beer that is not known for uh use of sugar which is really typical in belgian brewing Mm. but these beers are typically all malt um so the bigger they are the heavier they are unlike uh, a triple an eight percent triple might be much lighter than this but you're right this is very and i think that's part of that rusticity it's kind of uh thick and you know yeah thick and i don't know cakey biscuity something Mm -hmm. I, i confess i haven't had phantom in a long time and i'm really impressed with this beer this bottle at least is a nice one (laughs) <laughs> this is a, a good iteration. Yeah. He survived well. He's kind of famously had trouble with wild yeast in his brewery, and, and mm. some of his beers have been infected, but this is not No, I don't, I don't have any off flavors here at all. I think this is probably what he intended yeah. us to be drinking, and it's, um, yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, it's a good one. If we'd, if we'd had, uh, if we got better imports here in Portland, which are harder and harder to get because mm-hmm. people just don't buy imports, um, we might have been able to find a Blaugis, which is another traditional... Uh, maker who came along, uh, husband and wife team. I think also in that like 1980s mm-hmm. era, maybe the maybe the 90s. Um, and they make a saison that is spectacular. So if you can find that, try that. Their yeast character is really good. It's I think they have a bl- a mixed strain. Blaugis does, and mm-hmm. there's something wild about it. And the longer you let the bottle sit, the more um, the more the more that wild yeast comes on. It gets drier and more rustic, right? And, like leathery and yeah, very. Uh, it, it never becomes assertive. It doesn't ever have a really strongly brat character, but it does seem to change and and uh, get more interesting. So, <laughs> Blaugis is also a good one. I wish we had one of those around here. Yeah. Well, this is nice. This Phantom. Uh, it was a. It's 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 a big bottle and it's a big beer, so it's it's definitely one to share. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. And you and I are going to go to the Fresh Hop Beer Fest later tonight, so we're probably not going to drink that whole bottle. Yeah, actually, we didn't even mention that. At the, I was going to mention that at the intro. Uh, we'll get around to that at the end. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, uh, we got to figure out a way to, to preserve this. So the one of the things we need to talk about in this yeast character thing is um, how... we. I want to go back to DuPont and okay. their crazy yeast. Yeah. It's a famous yeast. Uh, I had heard about this yeast before I went, and I was uh, interested to see, you know, you're never really sure things get exaggerated or not. Um but people had talked about how this yeast w- will continue to ferment up into the 80s and even the 90s uh-huh. in terms of temperature. Right. And I didn't. I wasn't sure if that was true. And I know that most Belgian, uh, most American brewers who have used that yeast don't have the temerity to let it get that hot. Right. Uh, and when I visited the brewery, I was delighted to find these wonderful. He has these square horizontal tanks, mm-hmm. and they have um, they're connected to a central kind of digital readout and right. you can see the temperatures ah. 
and he had one that read 35 degrees Celsius, which wow. is in the in the high 90s. Yeah, so that's these things, really hot. Yeah, these things get like blood temperature. And he he said, uh, yeah, we let them free rise, and we don't do anything unless they get to whatever the equivalent. I, I in my notes I wrote down 102 degrees. Right. 102 degrees. This would like 38 or something like that. Yeah, one. something like that. This would absolutely destroy. Yeah, yeah. Other yeast would work that if you let beer get that warm with other yeast, it would, you'd get beer, you'd get alcohol, but you'd also get other compounds that were absolutely, uh, you get gasoline. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible, terrible (laughs) stuff. Um, but that yeast is, is the most unusual in the world for that. It probably can ferment 15 degrees warmer than, than any other yeast. And that's just a product of his terroir. That's just because of where he is. It's a product of having used that yeast for decades. Um, okay, they, so he harvests and pitch. He does. Ah, uh, okay. And he'll use he'll repitch for up to two hundred generations. Wow. Yeah. So he's getting a lot of uh, evolution in those, which is for for those of you who don't know, um, with a lager yeast you might go six or eight times. With a with an ale yeast you might go ten or twenty times. Right. Uh, two hundred times is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Olivier did a. Uh, inadvertently brilliant thing. He married a microbiologist. Ah. And so his wife oversees the uh, yeast strain and uh-huh. keeps a close watch on it. And um, he was completely forthcoming with everything about except the yeast. When I asked him <laughs> questions about the yeast, he was... Uh, <laughs> he actually, he, well, he got a really wry smile and uh, he just kind of... A Cheshire cat kind of look about right. it. Um, I, I, I've heard one rumor that it originally came from a red wine strain uh-huh. so i asked that and he said yes i've heard that too <laughs> uh, good you yeah. gotta have some secrets that's right and and with dupont it's all about the yeast so that's yeah. a really good one when people make uh, these beers in america um they're they're relying on that yeast strain and so you can make these beers any any way you want mm-hmm. um but you got to have that yeast character and it should have that that kind of warm in 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 belgium now it's called high fermentation mm. fermented at a high temperature right uh and and it you know the uh, one of my favorites here and, is, and, wait, and so so let me just press you on that so then what is a what is a drinker experience when that's happened these two beers uh, it would be nice if we had all our friends who listen to this joining us here because <laughs> it's really easy to point out when you have a beer in front of you um it's it basically <laughs> if you buy a saison dupont mm-hmm. uh you can taste um there's a tiny little bit of the malt underneath mm-hmm. and you can definitely taste the hops everything else in the beer is is the, is yeast. Is the yeast yeah so these beers and are that comes that, from fermenting at high temperatures it, it, the yeast strain uh itself which can ferment at a high temperature um although so part of his high temperatures, part of it may be uh, the creation of, of uh, phenolics through um, the conversion of a phenolic off strain, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, strain of yeast mm-hmm. that, that works with uh, uh, frulic acid in the mash um, that would convert into phenolics. So there's, there's, there can be other compounds being right. created that are not necessarily connected to, to temperature, but a general rule of thumb is the warmer a yeast ferments, any, any yeast strain, the more uh, flavor and aroma compounds you're right. going to get. Right. Right. That's what I was, that was what I was interested for. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and that was your key characteristic for Saison, which is it really pops. It has a, an abundant yeast character. Yeah. 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 And that's these, these guys, I mean, they're almost as aromatic as IPAs. Yep. Yep. You can hold them near your, you know, not, not, not even that close 
the, the glass not even that close to your nose and you should be able to smell them and that's all that. Yeah, and we talked about Saison DuPont as a hoppy beer, but but uh um but that's not the aromatics, that's the the bitterness. The bitterness. So yeah, totally. so the aromatics are really the yeast. <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting. The Phantom is uh quite a bit sweeter than the the, the DuPont. Yes. Uh DuPont really has a an assertive little hop bitterness in it. It does, and it's very dry, so it yeah. really it really finishes clean and it has that nice little bitter snap and yeah. Yeah, it's such a it's yeah. What I what I love about it is because it's sort of unassuming. Like I think you could serve saison Dupont to to a lot of people depending on their beer preferences, and they'll and they'll enjoy it. Even those who don't like particularly hoppy beers or don't like particularly sour beers, it's a it's kind of a it kind of hits a lot of. But it's a, but it's a really complex. Yeah, I wonder beer. What... So you can sort of really. Uh, as uh, John Keeling would say, you can really have a relationship with the beer. And that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what your wife, Christina, would think of this. Um, she's one of those people who has a really sophisticated palate. She's a foodie, she, but she likes wine, and she's not a huge fan of beer. That's right. And so I would wonder, this is the kind of beer that I would think, ooh, Christina, you might like this beer. Yeah, well, uh, that's true in saisons in general. I'm trying to think if, I'm pretty sure I've served Saison DuPont, but... Uh, and we have a, a a beer from the same brewery, but um, the local brewery, the Commons Urban Farmhouse, she loves. Okay. That's one of her faves. Yeah, there you so go. there you go, <laughs> yeah. which is a type of saison. <clears throat> which is quite a nice segue. Which is quite a nice segue. Why don't we open up this other big bottle of beer we've got here? Today? All right, <laughs> we need yeah. to start. We need to start bring, inviting. Uh, we just need to have a studio audience. That's true, a studio audience, and we can give them the beer because we end up with a lot of beer. That's true. Or either that, or we have to start potting at night and then just drinking the beer <laughs> i know but then one of us has to get home so we don't live in the same house that's this the problem is, yeah this is true that's what uber is for well speaking of the commons i have here in front of me uh a commons flemish kiss all right so this is another permutation of the the kind of <laughs> there was just a crash in the house yeah so there's teenagers cat. there's dogs there's cats who knows what caused that yeah who knows uh, so we're now we're back. So now we're into the United States. Where this is a local brewery, the Commons Brewery in Portland, Oregon. Uh, a brewery learned that it's going to go out of business at the end of the year. Unfortunately, a brewery that's struggling. And there, there's to your point about difficulty of sa- selling saisons uh, because it's a brewery largely built not around a big IPA, uh, but around one of my favorite beers of all time. Their Urban Farmhouse Ale is a wonderful saison, I think. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so now we're into U.S. interpretations of of what a saison is and this is a particular one that was good that was good audio there thank you yeah it was, it's a lot of banging and clanging <laughs> i don't do that as elegantly as you so do. this is described as pale ale with bretonomyces yeah so this one is flemish kiss and this is the the kind of more uh more modern uh modern yet throwback uh style of saison where brewers have added wild yeasts to kind of capture that quality that would have been present in the 19th century before right. uh, we understood about what you know when you had that micro microbiological intervention right um basically everything that the commons does is a, some version of a farmhouse ale so when when they call this a pale ale i don't know it's not a pale ale like americans think of pale ale right it's, uh and it it's about as dark. It's not even really pale. It's yeah. classic. It's a little darker than the Phantom. I think maybe they did that to try to gull people into buying it. Like, <laughs> yes. Oh, maybe it's like uh, Sierra Nevada or something. Right. But it's um, once you throw some Brett in there, it's 
Probably not. <laughs> this has long been one of their 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 most uh, beloved beers. Brett Nemiasis brings that. So that they do. They, they they the way the way they described it on the label. Label. Excuse me. Can't talk today. Is uh, they brew kind of a pale ale and then they ferment it. Then 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 they do a secondary fermentation with Brett. Yeah. It's a great way to make a beer, and many people who make saisons mm. will do a mixed culture. I've never had this beer before. Oh, really? No. That was a great beer. I wonder if many people are doing what we're doing. I've been drinking a lot more commons mm-hmm. than I just trying to get that last, course. Yeah. last gas. I wonder if they're having like this wow. massive sales rush now. That is really nice. Why haven't I been drinking this beer? I blame you. Uh, don't blame me, man. I, I these these kinds of beers are great mm. because um, you start out with a, a well attenuated beer that produces a lot of esters and then you add Brettanomyces so there's not a so much sugar left over right so it doesn't it doesn't give you that really crazy yeah, yeah. that giant Brett thing mm-hmm. that's uh, what really strikes me yeah it's very nice so you get a it's you a very some... restrained sorry I stepped on you no it's fine uh, it's a very restrained Brett taste you get a little bit of that sort of rustic barnyardiness but just really subtle yeah and it's kind of like it is i understand why they call it a well it almost it it reminds me a little bit of a flanders Mm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. the flemish kiss yeah it's a yeah the kiss from the flanders yeah Mm. yeah it's a great beer there is so much um the, the palette is so broad with with uh Saisons and the, the 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 potential thing you can do is so broad that yeah. you can just have a lot of fun and brewers do and well, this is a great example. It's nice. It's six and a half percent. It finishes pretty dry though. It's mm-hmm. not it's not heavy at all. Um, and uh, you get a really nice uh, yeast character out of it. Mm. Yeah, the yeast character is built from wild yeast, and it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I would say that the yeast character, if I had to rate it, if we went back to our uh, our. New England IPA rating schedule right? system. I would say it actually has less uh, assertive yeast yep. character than the Saison Dupont. Yep. Even though it's got wild yeast. Absolutely. So that just goes to show you how Absolutely. a regular strain of, of uh, domestic uh, ale yeast, like they use at Saison Dupont, can be so crazy expressive. Right. Even even more than wild yeast. Yeah. In certain circumstances. So yeah. So there we go. Saisons. All right. So, what are other for uh, listeners interested in testing tasting saisons? You'll find saison Dupont everywhere. Yeah, it's but what easy are what are good it. local or domestic uh, and other uh, imports they might find? Omegong Hennepin is probably the the maybe the best selling saison in in America. Okay. I'm guessing maybe. Yeah. A great version. Uh, I like it a lot. It's one of the older ones, um, one of the first ones to make it to market. Very nice. Mm-hmm. I mentioned Boulevard Tank 7. That's one of my big faves. They do a Brett Age version as well, so you can taste those together. It's nice. kind of fun. Um, among the Belgian ones, um, I mentioned Blaugies Monuse. How do you say that? Oh gosh, uh, Monuse. Monuse. That's the one I would look for if you're looking for Bel- uh, for uh, Blaugies. Kirkham is this cool little brewery that makes what they call. Um, uh, they have this Bink series. Bink Blonde. Yeah, they call it a blonde <laughs> ale, but it is so not a blonde ale. It is really a, uh, it is definitely a Saison. And maybe this is what Americans should start to do. Just call it uh, uh, something else to get mm. people in there. But it is yeah. it, it is one of my favorite beers in the world. I would say it's one of the most characterful 
beers in the world. It's certainly very saisonny. It's got um, it's got an especially nice uh, uh, rustic uh, malt character. The malt right. is really interesting. Um, <clears throat> it's got a lot of kind of the classic yeast character you look for, mm-hmm. and it's got these wonderful kind of wildflower herbal uh, hops, which feel like they're almost wild field hops. Um, it just feels very, it feels very much like a, the kind of beer that maybe was made on a farm, but really, but, but by a, a good brewer. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I that's love that Kirkham. One. Yeah. So that one's Kirkham. Kirkham. Um, and then another Belgian one that you can sometimes find, and I'm not going to pronounce this well, Jean Drain, Jean Drenouille. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'm going to try. <laughs> uh, Jean Drain, Okay, man, I'm really glad you're here. Uh, that was good. It was founded by two guys, uh, two young guys who were in the hops business and spent a lot of time in Yakima tasting American ah. hops. Yeah. So when they founded this, they kind of married hops and uh, the Belgian, they're, they're Belgians, mm-hmm. the Belgian um, East thing and mm-hmm. they come up with so so they're they have that they're they name them by numbers and their version number four is sort of their flagship and it's uh got they they've managed to use hops in a way that uh much the way that americans use hops to create fruity flavors they use fruit to, ma- to marry well night very nicely with the uh, yeast character so they get the fruity they have the hops are creating a fruity note which uh-huh. is very cool so cool that's a good one um uh, Goose Island Sophie is also nice. You can find that in a lot of places. Right. Kind of yep. a classic old one. If you're not, if you're not AB averse, it's <laughs> uh, a good one. And, um, I'm sure your local brewer makes it cause basically many do. So do you have any favorites? Uh, well, I've kind of revealed my favorites. The, the, our local commons urban farmhouse yeah. is, is, a, is one of my all time faves. Um, unfortunately might be not long for this earth. Uh, and then Saison DuPont. Yeah, just I would I would I would recommend anyone start there. If you haven't had Saison Dupont, um, I'm, if you're listening to this podcast, you've almost certainly heard of it. <laughs> and and if you haven't had it, you maybe take this. Well, and it's also one of those things if you haven't had it for a long time, which is often the case for yeah. a lot of beers. Uh, it's definitely a, use this as an excuse to go back and rediscover it because yeah. it's it's pretty phenomenal. Totally. So yeah, it it, it definitely. If you gave me fifty beers in the world that I could drink nothing else than those fifty, I'd definitely be on my my short list. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, well, I was at some point years and years and years ago. I think maybe in your blog, we're talking about desert island beers. Like, yeah. like if you had to choose one beer that you had to drink the rest of your life, which is a tough choice because it needs to hit a lot of mark, then uh, that was the one that I I thought of is Dupont. Nice. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. it just it sort of goes all seasons for all foods all weather all whatever right yeah uh and is just endlessly complex so you can sort of it remains interesting i think forever yeah and at six and a half percent it's right it's kind of kind of strong but not too too, too strong yeah that was actually one thing you know probably for my desert island especially if it's tropical oh, yeah. maybe i want a little lighter but you know <laughs> okay uh so let's turn to maybe, the mailbag maybe your desert islands in the hebrides though you never know that's then, true <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, then you don't want that four percenter. <laughs> then I need some single malt. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, so mailbag time. Yeah, let's do some mailbag. All right. Uh, so you better read this because I'm supposed to answer it. Oh, okay. Boy. So we got a, this. Is actually, um, uh, this comes from Michael Dale, Michael Day from Australia, and it came the last one, and I somehow it escaped my notice. Jason Day's brother, by the way. 
<laughs> You'd have no idea what I'm talking about. The golfer Jason yeah, Day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my old brain caught that. Uh, it, uh, maybe so. Who knows? I have no idea. Well, it's a short question, and we well, I throw it to you. My question for you, Patrick, I mean, you and Patrick is, well, it's really for you, though. At what point does exporting become a viable option for brewers? And how integral are exports to the likes of Syria, Nevada, and Founders? Is a market like Australia even just an afterthought for those brewers? Hmm. So you're the economist, so you this is for you. Yeah, well, I think overall uh, the answer is that the export market is um, a vanishingly small uh, market for even someone like Sierra Nevada. Although uh, I expect, by the way, Sierra Nevada comes up because he actually can get Sierra Nevada in, in Australia. My guess is that's true. Um, uh, we had some... Uh, uh, stats up and um, the Brewers Association which is represents a lot of craft beer <laughs> uh, says that among their members the um, in 2016 there was um, 465,000 barrels uh, were exported uh, which is uh, I think we calculate about 2% of total production is right, that right? Um, and a lot of that turns out goes to Canada so for a lot of brewers oh, I didn't realize that yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So a lot, so a lot of brewers uh, in Pacific Northwest, Upper Midwest, and probably the Northeast as well, uh, their main export market, as makes sense, because beer is heavy and hard to transport, is their neighbors uh, in Canada, and so I think that's and it's it, just right there, and it's just right there. So I think that it represents over half of the total export market. So if you're thinking about markets like Australia, <laughs> it's very small, and I mean, my my suspicion is that it's not big for the bottom line, but it's big for the brand. Uh, and there are local brewers right. like Rogue, which early on decided, you know, what we're going to do is just try to get our beer everywhere. Um, and they're actually not a huge player in the Oregon market, even though they're very well known, I would uh, I would say. Uh, but you find them everywhere. Right. <laughs> like around the world, practically, yeah, you'll and find then Rogue beer. In the 90s, they were exporting to Asia. And mm -hmm. that was a rat. We were like, what? That's radical. How, yeah, why and it became kind of big and that's in relative terms of course but they came kind of big in japan japan's yeah. actually an important market for them right but there i think more the ex more of the exception than the rule i think for most brewers export is a nice little little business on the side but not much more than that and i think if if they actively are seeking out export markets it's probably more for just uh the brand than than the actual sales uh they Press get prestige purposes that kind of thing yeah and and you know what what happens is if you really did do a good job in export and suddenly australia is just clamoring for sierra nevada eventually what you do is you just have it brewed there uh, right because it's just too hard to preserve beer and too costly to send beer that far right um but that's that's the key right if you can create a brand awareness in australia uh anyone can I gotta be careful with my words, <laughs> but I mean, theoretically, anyone can brew that recipe, and so you could contract with a brewery, you could start your own brewery there, or buy up an existing brewery and start brewing Sierra Nevada in Australia and create a new market for yourself. Right. Ap apropos of that, um, <laughs> Jason, no, no, not Jason. Sorry, Michael, mm -hmm. uh, Jason's brother, said. Uh, by the way, nobody drinks Foster in Australia, which I've heard many times. Is that right? Yeah, and that's one of those classic things, right? So, it's like Corona in Mexico, right? Yeah, you become you become so associated with your country as an export product. This is also the case with uh, uh, Newcastle, not a big brand in in uh, mm. the UK. It's right. an export brand, so you, so that so that I suppose that could happen. That um, you know. A, a brewery like Rogue, for example, 
might become uh, a really big deal in a foreign country when they're not really selling so well at home anymore right. because they're 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 broadcasting to a foreign country that they are the American yeah. beer, which yeah. is funny. Yeah, Foster's definitely just it just has that whiff of of a marketing concoction more than anything else. It's so it's Australian for beer. Exactly, <laughs> precisely. It's just a little too heavy-handed. But but so what do they drink in Brazil? I mean Brazil, in Australia. Sorry, I don't know. I don't know why. I'm I'm not, I've not been drinking that much beer, but I'm just smashing around like a, a wild. <laughs> this thing this whole pod is is <laughs> defined <laughs> by crazy smashing noises, levels going crazy. You know? uh, I wonder what the big the big domestic brands are in Australia. I don't even know. I haven't been there. I don't either. It's really far. I've never been to Australia. I'd really like to go to both Australia and New Zealand. So whoever the big beer brewer is in Australia, why don't you pay for us to come and we'll come over and we'll drink your beer and, and talk about it. And we'll put you on the pod. Yeah, and that'll put you on the map, that, like that, worldwide. That, all of a sudden, you'll start selling beer. <laughs> <laughs> we need a new sponsor, by the way. So That's right. This space this space for, for rent. <laughs> Just let us know. Uh, yes. we, we're pretty cheap. All right, so the All right, next one. this next one is giant, and you should just take... Um, I'm going for it. Ready? Are you going to read the whole thing, or are you going to just pick part of it out? Uh, I'm going to... You'll know when I'm done. Okay, all right. <laughs> Which means I don't know now. Yeah. <laughs> so Kevin McAvoy, uh, who lives in Boulder, Colorado, uh, has a fairly big uh, 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 mailbag comment here. It's, uh, now, I'm a fairly casual home brewer and far from a water chemist, but I'm totally prepared to eat, and I'm totally prepared to eat my wards. Always good to start conditionally uh but i think uh we might be misunderstanding uh what your city's water supply is like uh while it may be a delicious and untreated is that really a thing in municipal water supplies we'd mentioned that I think. yes but Sorry. not for long thanks to the epa right um anyways is, is it the epa or is, is it the yeah i think it is the food EPA. and drug administration fda i think it's the epa anyway we're not going to be allowed to untreat too many too many wild animals poop in our water yeah uh, uh, okay. Anyway, <laughs> okay. Uh, this wasn't a long enough question, so, no. you have to go <laughs> so I've had to, I had a two-minute diversion. <laughs> okay. Basically, the point is: can you possibly? Is there any such thing as a municipal water supply that that creates a, an entirely neutral canvas, one that doesn't have any sort of mineral or other or or particular pH? Uh, he thinks that that's that's not really possible. That any municipal water supply is going to have its own particular characteristic. Uh, and brewers know how basically have to know what their local water is, and then know how to amend it to create what they want. And is that, is that a pretty good paraphrase? That's a good paraphrase. And the reason it came up was because um, at one point in a recent pod, the last pod, some pod, we mentioned that Portland's water is basically neutral. Yeah, and he was he was he found that uh, unlikely. Right. Well, I'm here to tell you. <laughs> Learn us. Do us some learning here. Uh, unlikely as it may sound, it's true. Yeah, we have we have basically rainwater. It's basically it, rainwater. It falls. Straight. It falls from the Oregon skies, uh, lands in a watershed that funnels into a reservoir called Bull Run, and uh, when it has been tested, um, it has. Uh, actually, I, I never I don't know how to read these things. Ca plus two magnesium. All, all the different chlorides and, and various things. Mm -hmm. When you look at when you look at um, Oregon's compared to everybody else, we have um, like we'll have uh, one or two parts per billion or million or whatever the, the measure is, and other other cities will have hundreds 
We we basically have neutral water. There's almost yeah. nothing in it. So I used to live in Denver. He lived in Boulder, and uh, I don't know about Boulder's water supply, but but Denver uh, actually control and, and it's completely soft, like alkalinity for. Um, uh, I'm looking at a place here, and there's a place that compares them all in 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 Texas. 247. Ours is nine. Yeah. So what is Another the pH? Two twenty eight. Uh, our pH is uh, uh, it's pretty close to seven, I think. Okay, so uh, the thing I'm looking at. Oh no, it does have it. Wait, wait. Keep talking. Okay, so I don't know about Boulder, but I imagine it's something similar. Denver has controls this amazing watershed in the in the Rockies. So basically, it's all meltwater. It's all snow, and so I would think that it's pretty close, except if it gets treated, which I'm sure it does. Uh, and he says, well, the water has to run over rocks and things like that, so it's going to pick up some mineral content, which, you know, I, I agree. I am no geologist or water chemist, and so I can't tell you exactly how much minerals you pick up just from surface contact with, with rocks, but I imagine it's reasonably small. Go ahead, yeah. pH. Uh, my, my source is seized up. It's seized up. So, <laughs> yeah, we can, we, can, um, we can mention that later, I think. Uh, in, in any case, we have... We have uh, very soft water it is we have no it's just there's just no minerals in it there's nothing in it so it it does function as a fairly neutral palate there are a few things in it it's not 100 percent like uh okay i uh, re- reverse osmosis apparently the ran. ph of portland's drinking water uh ranges between 7.4 and 8 oh there you go so not seven so pretty close uh but i mean in essence he's right there's nothing i mean there's going to be a little bit of anything in there, but it's pretty close. It's about as close as you get to rainwater. Yeah. Uh, and when you talk to brewers here, um, so that's the, the, the chemical when you talk, the practical is when you talk to brewers here, they don't, they don't bother treating it unless they're trying to add something in. They treat it as a neutral palate too. Yeah. So they'll, they will, they will, they will add it, but they don't have to do anything to get it back to neutral. Right. As an advantage Portland brewers have. But stay tuned for our upcoming pod. All you ever wanted to know about water, <laughs> which we still haven't quite figured out how to make entertaining. No, but I think I found a packaging guy. So, oh, all right, so yeah. packaging is packaging is coming. But we do uh, we do recognize that water is obviously a key ingredient uh, in beer, and we plan to do a pod, and then you'll know everything there is to know about water, and That's so right. will we. Okay, so there you go, Portland water, the best. <laughs> I just want to emphasize Except that. when too many animals poop in it. Well, so a little cryptosporidium. You know, our biomes just aren't just they're they're not they don't have enough stuff in it. It's why it, so there's so we have to we have to start treating the water according to the federal government and there's a big question about whether we'd go cheap and do a little UV treatment, just a little quick flash of some UV light and that gets rid of all the cryptosporidium, or whether we go full on. And so that's a, that's the ongoing debate in Portland. Either one's gonna be costly and um I think people, uh, the people like the brewers prefer the UV treatment because it doesn't do much. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. All right. So uh, that basically rounds rounds us up for our podcast. Uh, we didn't. You asked me about my favorite saisons in lieu of a shirt, but tell me what your favorite saisons are. Um, well, I mentioned the ones you know the, that, of course, the ones that I recommended were the ones I, I, I would, I would choose i think uh kirkham and and blaugies in addition to saison dupont are the okay. ones that i would encourage people to look for yeah. especially bink blonde it's just it, it's 
it's not a beer that anybody talks about. It's one of those ones that doesn't have the cachet that, right. that some of these other breweries have. Uh, and it is extraordinary. So, Pink right. Blonde. Pink Blonde. There you go. All right. So, thanks very much for listening to the podcast. A few words going out about how to contact us. Jeff blogs at the Beervana blog uh, at its new address, beervanablog.com. Uh, tweets at, at Beervana. And there's a Beervana blog Facebook page, which is a great way to leave comments. Indeed. And Patrick blogs. Uh, not really. I got to get rid of that. Sorry. <laughs> you keep. You keep <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Patrick tweets at Beeronomics. Uh, yep. This is a debacle. I do. Start. I've decided, by the way, oh, I talked about this last time, that Twitter is now my preferred, like 140K. Well, now they've... I know. Maybe that's, like 280. Yeah. That's like real I'm work. Sure I can deal with that. Exactly. It's almost like blog work. But we're going to be the last ones to get that. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, so tweeting is my new is my new blogging. Yeah. Uh, soon they'll implant neural nodes straight in your brain, and then you can just think it out, and it'll go out to the, the world. Then, oh, funny then, you should mention that. I'm reading this book called Nexus. That's my, my teenage son's recommendation uh-huh. by Ramez Nam. It's really good. Is it? It's kind ne- of a neural implant. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of a, <laughs> imagines a future world where you can enhance humans and how the society deals with it. It's really good. Very cool. It's really good. Well, until Patrick gets uh, his neural implant, you can find him <laughs> tweeting <laughs> at Beeronomics. Uh, yeah. And if you'd like to send us some feedback, email us at jeff at com or visit the Beer Vana Blog Facebook page, as I already mentioned. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, it's really nice to have a mailbag each week because otherwise <laughs> we're hurting for content. And thanks thanks to those of you who have gotten us going here. Good good questions. Yeah, Kevin and uh, Michael. Michael, say hi to your brother Jason. And uh, good day, mate. And Kevin, you're from Boulder, so I don't have anything. Okay. Uh, uh, go Buffaloes. We got a cheers, so let's see what I got here. I'm going to pick up the... I think this is... Oh, man. We've kind of mixed up. I think this is the DuPont, right? Yes, that's the DuPont. Smell it. And this is the yeah, and this is the Commons if you want that one. Was that the Commons? Yes. I poured the Commons into the other one. Right. <laughs> so you have a Phantom Commons blend. I have a Phantom Commons blend inadvertently. Right. We should have different glassware the next time when they're all three glasses and they all look quite similar. Yeah, unlike unlike Jeff's house where he has specialized glassware for everything. I have nothing. Uh, so. Don't say that out loud. <laughs> I've claimed not to be a beer geek, and that's the kind of thing that makes me look beer geeky. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Claim all you want. All right, cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Patrick. <laughs>